Kelsey was just 21 years old at the time of her untimely passing. She was living with a boyfriend, Alex Young, at the time in Kearney, Nebraska, a small mobile home. Alex was working out of town as a reservist in the Nebraska National Guard at the time of Kelsey's murder. From what I've read online, most times when Alex would leave for work, Kelsey would stay at his parents' home. But with plans to visit her best friend the following day, she opted to stay home. Alex and Kelsey texted back and forth throughout the day on June 17, 2008, with the last text being sent to Alex around 1 in the morning. Three and a half hours later, the mobile home was in flames. The fire was concentrated in the back bedroom of the house where Kelsey slept. When firefighters arrived, they knew someone was inside and worked tirelessly to extinguish the flames and pull Kelsey from the home. But when the fire was finally out, she was discovered inside the house, deceased, just outside of her bedroom door. Reportedly, her dog was inside as well, and unfortunately, did not make it either. As with most house fires, it was believed to be accidental at first, possibly an electrical fire, or if Kelsey was a smoker, she could have fallen asleep with a cigarette in her hand. But as the investigation ticked on, it was soon determined this was homicide. A short article published three days following the fire explained, The Buffalo County attorney says the fire death of a 21-year-old Kearney woman has been ruled a homicide. County attorney Sean Etherton says in a written release that the homicide ruling is based on autopsy results from the body of Kelsey Fike. Fike was found by firefighters early Tuesday in the back bedroom of a burning mobile home. Police have said the fire was contained to the bedroom. Other outlets online report that despite Kelsey being so close to where the fire was located, her body didn't suffer burns that matched the intensity of the fire. Another short article published not long after the discovery stated, Kearney police say a 21-year-old woman whose body was found in her burning home weeks ago knew the person who killed her. Police say they do not have a suspect in the death of Kelsey Fike, but say the violent nature of her death indicates she knew her attacker. Police have not said how Fike died. They are asking the public to come forward with information. Further down, it states that her boyfriend was no longer a suspect in the case. What that article didn't mention was how Kelsey was killed. It was later revealed that she'd suffered what looked to be a severe beating before her death, and the lack of signs for smoke inhalation indicated she was dead before the fire was set. She had numerous bruises on her body, a broken nose, signs of blunt force trauma to the back of her head, and had signs of being strangled by a ligature. Other strange details include her front and back doors being left unlocked, Some have suggested she knew someone was coming over or simply left them unlocked for a lack of needing to lock them. Her basset hound Dante was also very protective of Kelsey, but no one reported hearing him bark the night of the murder. Again, indicating the person who killed Kelsey was a close friend. More recent articles, like one published in June of 2018, have suggested that she was the victim of sexual assault or an attempted sexual assault that led to a struggle and her eventual murder. The person who did it attempted to burn down the home and fled the scene. 
There is a short video that captures the car leaving the trailer park not long after Kelsey was believed to be murdered, but it is very brief and more or less impossible to make out any plate numbers or even the make and model of the car. Other evidence that is crucial to the case, that being the DNA found at the scene, is also at a standstill. When the firefighters were putting out the fire, the high-pressure hoses caused the DNA that was found on Kelsey's body to mix with hers. As of now, it has been sent to a lab in an attempt to separate the two. This would further indicate that she was very likely the victim of an attempted sexual assault. This case is far from cold, however. As of late June 2018, Kearney Police Department Captain Mike Kirkwood said in an interview, people want this crime solved and they want the killer brought to justice and the community has stayed involved with it and that's what we need. We don't want this to be forgotten. If you have any information you believe can help the police in this case, call the Nebraska Crime Stoppers at 800-422-1494 or visit their site at NebraskaCrimestoppers.com. Jason was a quiet kid, according to his mother. He was described as shy and said to only have a handful of friends. Nevertheless, his disappearance caught everyone's attention in 2001. Jason was 19, studying at the Iowa Western Community College when he seemed to vanish into thin air. But with what I found, even if everyone were to take time to talk about this case, it would still be incredibly baffling. It begins in Omaha, Nebraska, Jason's hometown. On the 13th of June, 2001, he made a call to work saying he was going to come in early and asked a co-worker to pick him up at his former high school, Benson High. The co-worker agreed, and Jason began to get ready to leave. As he did, he helped his brother take their trash cans to the garage, something a neighbor saw Jason do around 10.45 on the 13th. Around 30 minutes to an hour later, between 11.15 and 11.30, Jason's co-worker began wondering where he was. When he called Jason's home, it was when he discovered he'd somehow gone missing. Security footage from Benson High School showed that Jason never showed up to the school, which was just eight blocks away, or about an eighth of a mile. His sudden vanishing shocked everyone around him, and many in the community. Not only was it sudden, but there was no sign that he had intentions of leaving. According to the Charlie Project, the $650 left in his bank account has gone untouched. None of his paychecks were cashed following him vanishing. His car, which was being repaired, was never picked up. His phone, ATM card, they were also never picked up. Nothing personal had been taken from his room, and by all accounts, he'd been acting like his normal self up until the point he disappeared. Samuel Sherman, I've decided to include him here because some online believe these two cases could have some connection. Sam's case begins on the 19th of July, 2001. This was just five weeks after Jason was abducted, and as of this writing, the anniversary of his abduction is just a few days away, meaning this case will officially be 19 years old. According to the very little that is online, and I mean very little, Sam was supposed to go to a job interview in downtown Omaha. 
According to Namas, he never returned to his home, which was located on the 3600 block of Bedford Avenue. But that's it. That's all I can find. There are no photos of him and no articles I can find that would have been archived. Some on Reddit who live in the area even say it's possible he was never properly reported missing as it received little to no coverage locally. Some online have even looked up his name in yearbooks from schools in the Omaha area but found no record of anyone by that name. This, coupled with the reports of him simply staying at a house on Bedford, led some to speculate that he was simply passing through Nebraska and wasn't a local, leading to small amounts of coverage. Then there are some that debate if Sam even actually existed. Personally, I don't know how I feel about that. If Sam is a real person who actually went missing, I don't want to undermine the seriousness of the situation. That said, it is incredibly strange that there is next to nothing online about him. If you do believe you have any information on either of these cases, you can report it to the Omaha Police Department at 402-444-5818. Police in Chardon, Nebraska are looking for a missing man who might be in the Black Hills area. Stephen P. Hadia, 46, was last seen about 4.30 p.m. Monday. Sergeant Charles James of the Chardon Police Department has said Hadia has family in the Rapid City area and is known to like the Black Hills. Hadia is a math instructor at Chardon State College. James said Hadia may be depressed and could be a danger to himself. That article was published on the 8th of December 2006. It wouldn't be until March of the following year that Stephen was discovered, but unfortunately, he was not alive. Two ranchers came across the scene. The man had been tied to a tree and burned alive. Not long after their reporting of this discovery, the man was identified as Stephen Hadia. The cause of death was smoke inhalation, along with the immense thermal injuries inflicted to his body because of the fire. This case was incredibly shocking to everyone, given the brutality of it, but it was the ruling of why Stephen was there that sparked more uproar than even the initial discovery. From a 2007 article, a Chardon State College professor found in March bound to a tree had been drinking heavily the night of his death and may have been alone, authorities said Tuesday. The police were treating this as a very elaborate suicide. Many things about the case were explained away in this article. For example, the fact that Stephen was bound to a tree. They say since his hands were not bound, he could have done it himself. Secondly, there was an accelerant found at the scene and traces of charcoal. Stephen reportedly bought a bag of charcoal from a local store, the night of his initial disappearance. Along with the charcoal, he purchased a bottle of peppermint schnapps. This bottle was found at the scene as well, nearly empty. And the autopsy determined his BAL was incredibly high. All of these things led police to rule this as a suicide, given the reports of him being depressed only months beforehand. But there are just some strange things that people continue to latch on. Firstly, Stephen didn't have a car. He walked everywhere he went, including to work at the school, which was a mile away from his home. 
He was found in a fairly remote area, which could indicate someone took him there in a car or truck, but Stephen was a big guy. He was over 6 feet tall and well over 240 pounds, hardly the target for an abduction. Furthermore, Stephen suffered a broken hip in 2005, which many have said made him a much more cautious person than he was before. He would avoid large, steep hills. And with where the body was found, it would have been very difficult for him to make it up there by himself. Unfortunately, I can't find much online about what the scene looked like and if there were tire tracks nearby, so that's still up in the air. That's another thing people seem to draw issue with, the police withholding information. I've seen a few reports of people claiming the police know more than they're letting on, but I can't say much on that matter. Finally, I continued to see reports that many believe this was a hate crime. While Stephen never told anyone that he was gay, many around him, including his students, made the assumption. A 2007 article stated, Kellen Kars said her and other students wondered whether the professor was singled out because of his effeminate mannerisms. A little further down, Stephen's best friend is quoted saying that Stephen wasn't gay, but the idea was still in everyone's head. So much so, rumors, eventually proven false, began to spread about the case. The most prominent one was that Stephen was bound with barbed wire. From what I understand, this case has been ruled a suicide and is no longer open. With that said, I wanted to talk about it because I'm on the fence about the official ruling. There are signs that point to Stephen deciding to take his own life, but there was no note, and aside from the depression and reported previous attempt, everything else points to murder. Could it have been a hate crime? Possibly, I suppose, but I find that unlikely as well. As you can tell, I'm very back and forth, so I'll say this. If you believe that Stephen was murdered and you have information that can help prove it, don't hesitate to report it. You can call the Chardon Crime Stoppers at 308-432-0519. Also, given the possibility of Stephen taking his own life, I'd also like to mention Open Counseling. A link at the top of the description will take you to their webpage with suicide hotlines for everywhere in the world. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, especially in the times we're living in right now, reach out and talk to someone. I can promise you, you are not alone, and this world would be far worse without you. I want to take a second to say thank you to everyone who stuck around to the end of this video. I know that last case specifically, um, given that it could have been suicide, it's not something easy to talk about. A lot of people have been affected by it, but like I said, if you or someone you know is suffering, just do not be afraid to reach out to someone, whether it be a hotline, a friend, a family member, a guidance counselor, whatever. Um, you're not alone. People go through terrible, terrible things on a regular basis, and sometimes you might feel like you have no way out, but I promise you, if you can get through this, you can get through everything. Um, I just wanted to say that real quick. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Be sure to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and as always, stay safe out there.